Hi, and welcome to Dope Shit My Therapist Says, a therapeutic wellness and lifestyle podcast providing relatable conversations and encourage our listeners to strive for self-growth, self-reflection, and self-love. We are two therapists who just want to keep it real. We provide a safe and honest space for those who need an extra dose of connection with a no-bullshit filter. We're your hosts, Ryan Gaddy and Lauren Factor, and we welcome you to our space. We're so happy to have you here. Now let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to season five of Dope Shit My Therapist Says. We're kicking off our first episode of the season with Rachel Sievers. Rachel is a counselor and life coach with a master's degree of science in psychology. She's logged over 12,000 hours practicing psychotherapy. Today, she works in an expanded practice that utilizes both talking and action to achieve tremendous results. She has also hosted the Answer to Everything podcast, the podcast where you hear real-life counseling sessions, followed by information and tips you can use in your life today. We focused on the topic of codependency with Rachel on today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it and will leave us a review and a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at DopeSHTTherapyPod. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for being on our podcast and our first guest of season five. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Are you <laughs> celebrating the big game today? Uh, no, actually, I just realized it's Super Bowl Sunday right now. And <laughs> I thought to myself, boy, I should probably call a friend and go do something. <laughs> I had just planned on spending the day on the couch today. So <laughs> I mean, you that- definitely still can. <laughs> Yeah, I think I maybe I'll maybe I'll go connect with somebody, but yeah, I'm not a I'm obviously not a football fan. Are you a Taylor Swift fan? Because that has become the new thing this year with football, which is so interesting to me. I right, yeah. I mean, I love Taylor Swift, but I'm not like a super fan either. So I really don't know what's going on with that either. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you as like you know in the therapy world as well, but like the thoughts I have on all of the kind of like super fandom around her and just people hopping onto whatever she's into at the moment is so interesting to me, but it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. Okay. Um, I am a retired psychotherapist. I've been practicing for, um, like 10 or 11 years now in private practice. Uh, I'm now a counselor life coach. I have a, a mental health podcast called the answer to everything, um, I do a lot of stuff on social media. I just finished my my work journal that will be coming out here soon. We're just um, publishing that now and starting to publish e-courses. And uh, my, my first e-course will be available now. And it's about anxiety, my 21 best tools for anxiety that I've learned in private practice over the last 10 years. So just uh, doing everything I possibly can. I feel a strong passion to make the benefits of counseling available to everybody because not everybody can make it into a counseling office, you know, for so many different reasons. And so, however, I can get that out to as many people as possible. I just really feel like I, I need to be doing that. So, yeah. That's amazing. I honestly could probably use that anxiety the anxiety tips myself. Oh, yeah? <laughs> um, yeah, I work at a group private practice, but you know, 
you being on today, like you have an understanding of how hard it is mm-hmm. um, to be in this field. Like we love it, but it's also really hard for therapists to, you know, feel supported themselves. And I, I want to hear a little bit more about like your mental health, like journey into like, or your journey into the mental health field. Like, is this something oh, okay. you always wanted to do or is it oh. something you fell into? Yeah. So I, I was going through my divorce my first or second, I can't remember. No, it was my first divorce. Okay. And I went to counseling to help me with that. Cause I felt like everything's falling apart. Life is not turning out the way I thought it was supposed to. And when I sat down on that couch across from my therapist, all I kept thinking was, man, her job is the tits. Like that's awesome. She gets to go in and just like have a cool little space and just help people all day. <laughs> and I I had to go into retail and other things just to make ends meet during my divorce. But as soon as I could, I jumped into a master's program and never looked back. I mean, it, it's exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. It's exactly where I'm supposed to be. I can, I can count on one hand the number of bad work days that I've had since I started in this field. I just love it. Even the hard days are good for me. I love it. But I think, you know, that, that wounded healer stuff that we talk about a lot, you know, I, I'm, I messed up and I've done my healing. So I want to help other people because I feel like I, I know, I know what we can do. I know how we can help you. I've been there. I've done that. Um, I think I have a lot of that going on. Raised extremely codependent by extreme codependence. (laughs) So I'm really glad that we're talking about that today because I integrate a lot of codependency work in my, in my practice. Yeah. We're excited about this topic as well. What led you to move from the therapy kind of world, mental health licensed therapist world into coaching? Um, What helped you decide to make retire from that and move towards the coaching a little bit more? Well, I, I reached a point myself and I saw a lot of my clients reaching a point after working with them for five, six, seven, eight years, where talking about it, it's like, okay, we've talked about it, but I'm still experiencing symptoms. I'm still having issues. Like something is still not right. So in my own life, I started exploring like spirituality and energy frequencies, stuff like that. In my professional life, I started exploring trauma healing through body work, somatic experiencing, uh, which um, the, uh, and now the name of the, the psychiatric association, anyways, they, they don't recognize it yet as a, as a, an accredited intervention. So I can't bill for that. I didn't feel comfortable, even though the work that I was doing with it was getting ex- like great, great results quickly. I never felt comfortable ethically doing it while licensed because sometimes it involved touch sometimes it involved self-disclosure self-time you know it it just it was always walking the lines of what was considered ethical in the therapeutic world and I didn't I just didn't want to practice like that anymore and I didn't need to like financially my practice was full and I've got a great base of clients and I just I wanted to be able to meet them outside and go for a hike if that's what works for them. I want to help them declutter their closet if that is what is going to you know take them to the next level. 
So now I just, I just felt confident that the work that I was doing was good and really helping people. And I just didn't want to be boxed in anymore. And I didn't want to work with an element of fear. So I just got rid of that. And it's been good. It's been good for me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And for our listeners that don't really know, like the back end of what it is to be a licensed therapist, like there is a lot of restrictions and red tape about what we can talk about per se in therapy or utilize based on whether or not it's, you know, kind of covered under what we learn. And so, you know, I think Lauren and I used to talk about like talking about tarot reading or astrology or, Mm -hmm. you know, any kind of like deeper spirituality that you're not allowed to really touch that in therapy unless the client is bringing it to you first. And so, yeah, we totally get why, you know, therapists move away from being licensed in order to utilize things that they feel are super helpful, but that, you know, the associations just are not recognizing yet. So thank you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean to demonize it at all. I think it it serves a great purpose. And for some people it's perfect. And for me, it was perfect for six or seven years. It's exactly what I needed to get to where I am today. So I'm, I'm not by any means saying it's a bad thing to be licensed or that the associations are doing a bad thing that I don't believe that, but yeah, I think if your heart is, is pulling you away from that, you should listen to that. Check it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a place for every every type of modality, right? So some people love the therapy model, others mm-hmm. are more into spirituality and, and other things. And I was just having this conversation yesterday. So it's interesting that we um, got on this topic, but it makes complete sense. And it's something, you know, to be honest, I've been toying with for a while. So we'll see if I ever get there. But our main topic today is codependency, which I think is forever relevant for, um, you know, the population. And we haven't dived in really deep at all. I don't even know that we've grazed the surface of codependency yet. So this is the perfect topic to talk about with you today. Um, We'll start with the basics. What is codependency? And then we'll kind of just hop in from there. Okay. Yeah. Would you like me to answer that? Yes, please. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, My best understanding of codependency is the inability to esteem from within, the inability to know oneself and to know that uh, you're valuable already. And uh, so most codependents finding themselves find themselves uh, trying to get that validation from sources outside of themselves. So, you know, if I don't know that I'm good and valuable, I need you to think that I'm good and valuable before I feel good and valuable. If I don't really know who I am, I need you to reflect to me who I am so that I know who I am in that moment. So many codependents are kind of doing the tap dance all day long, trying to get the validation that it is that they want. So they're going to show up as whoever they think you want them to be. They're going to do what they think you want them to do. They're going to feel how they think you want them to feel so that you look at them and go, yes, I like you. And then they feel likable. But short definition is I don't have it in here. So I get it from outside of myself. Do you think that codependency always evolves from childhood experiences into 
adulthood or do you think someone can be codependent or become codependent like outside of their family dynamic? Well, I mean, this is tricky because codependency is not an actual DSM diagnosis, right? There aren't these, if you meet these criteria, now you're codependent. So it's kind of a weird topic to talk about uh, um, that way. But uh, yeah, a lo- uh, most codependency ble- starts in childhood from our childhood environments. Then we are, we develop in that environment to survive and thrive in that environment. And a lot of children are taught to be codependent to make their caregivers feel okay about themselves because they're codependent. But I believe that also, you know, we can be raised very healthy, but if we're in an abusive relationship long-term, whether it be a a work relationship or a love relationship, sure, then we can develop traits of codependency. And it's also possible to be codependent in this relationship, but not that one. Right. And I think the, if we are in a love relationship where codependency is kind of required of us to be safe and okay, then yeah, over time, even if we were raised in a healthy um, home, yeah, we can be codependent in that relationship, especially. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I had mentioned earlier that like, I'm working on codependency with one of my clients and, um, you know, I think all of those things you talked about are like definitely key aspects, which is when I think about children becoming codependent, I think about one of the parents or both of the parents having high emotional needs that everybody in the household really needs to bend and sway to, to kind of keep the environment calm and safe. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, they kind of learn that everybody else's stuff is important for them to figure out so that they can be relaxed in their own home or at least safe in their own home. That then translates to other things. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a a great way to put it, you know, high meeting other people's high emotional needs in childhood, because the message you're getting there is you're not important. We're not, we're not so much paying attention to you, but you should be paying attention to me. Right. And And then the relationships, they learn that like, I, even if their partner isn't requiring that of them, they're like, kind of like, oh, well, I got to ask permission and let me check in with you all the time. And I'm going to not do what I like to do so that you're happy. Um, And I feel like that really kind of evolves from having to do that with a parent or both parents, really. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I never thought of myself as a codependent person, but when we When I hear the word, or even right now, as I'm just kind of listening to the back and forth um, between you and Ryan, Rachel, I realize like my first relationship was codependent for sure, but it's because of a lack of safety in the relationship that I craved more. Mm -hmm. And I didn't find that in every relationship that I've been in and not my current one, but that's because my current partner has has shown up for me consistently. So I feel like sometimes also with, you know, I don't want to say that my relationship was abusive, that first one, but it was not safe. And I became a version of myself that I never thought I'd be since I was raised in a healthy household. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to see how different relationships play up with codependency, because we think of, right, this person that, you know, maybe wasn't raised with, you know, a stable household. And then there's the other side of it, though, the people that, like you mentioned, healthy households, but now it's kind of the partner or it's the friend or it's whoever that's showing you that there's no safety here. 
well, I think it can be sort of more traumatic for people who are raised in a healthy household to find themselves maybe two years deep in a relationship and realize, oh my goodness, like I've lost myself. I don't even know who I am anymore. I think people who were raised in healthy environments think the best of other people. <laughs> they assume that the other, other people have good intentions or they assume that, oh, you just must be having a bad day or maybe that's your insecurity or, you know, maybe that's from your past. You know, we kind of justify their behavior. We sort of assume that they mean well. And so we get sucked into being codependent. I don't know. I think sometimes people who are raised in more traumatic environments tend to be a little, <laughs> a little more um, not surprised when people are assholes or not surprised when people are being manipulative. Like maybe, maybe they're able to see it a little bit quicker or maybe not, not surprised when they are codependent. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, it's really hard pill to swallow when you've been healthy your whole life. And then suddenly you're not, it's hard. Yeah, I would say that's true. Lauren and I have very different, well, not super, super different, but different enough, like growing up um, experiences with our families. And so I think I always ended up on the other side of codependency where I was just so hyper independent that I was almost like if somebody got too close to me, I was just like, nope, get away from me. Mm. Um, where I feel like my brother was the one who was always in a relationship, like back to back to back to back to back. And I don't even remember the last time he was single. And I don't remember the last time I was not single. Uh, so I think it's interesting too, that like, it's not clear cut the way we're talking about this. Like just because something happened in childhood doesn't mean you're going to end up codependent. Like the right. factors that are involved are so vast with this topic. Absolutely. My sister is not codependent at all in her marriage. She says exactly what she's thinking. She states her needs. If he's upset, she's not bothered by it. Um, she's really unaffected. And they've got this like really good thing going on. They just love each other just the way they are. She gets to, she never has to suck in her belly. She doesn't have to wear makeup. She doesn't have to do anything, right? He just loves her. She loves him. They're good. Not to say they don't have any problems. But when she goes to work, she literally sweats all day and her heart is racing all day, worried about what are the other nurses thinking about me? Did the doctor think I made a bad call there? Are, are the, the patients going to leave me a bad report? Oh my God, I just got feedback. I think my boss hates me. Like She's like so worried about everyone around her and she's so affected. I'm the exact opposite of her. How did that happen? I don't know. I don't give a fuck. Like if you guys like me right now or not, it's like, okay, well, that's cool. Either way, take me or leave me. It's okay. But as soon as I'm in an intimate relationship, I'm like, oh my God, are you okay? What are you thinking about me? Are you mad? Are you upset? And I'm constantly affected by my partner. So it, yeah, like it, the sensitivity of the person and the dynamics and all of our experiences and our personalities and everything, it's all going to show up for us differently. And then there's the question, sorry if I'm talking too much, but then there's the question of where is the line between I'm a considerate person. I, I take other people's wants and needs into consideration and I make adjustments whenever I can. That's just being tactful and considerate. Where is the line between that and 
I have this, this almost like uncontrollable subconscious, like need to please you and make you like me, make you think that I'm okay. So I I'm constantly tuned into you, making you comfortable in doing what you want and doing what you need to an unhealthy extent. That's I think what it's I was thinking too. Yeah. The motivation behind it. It's like, I, I, I always believe this is maybe some Freud stuff. Like if, if I'm consciously making the decision to do this thing for you and I, I'm okay doing this thing for you. And I know that I feel okay about this, then that's healthy. If it's this like drive to do it, whether or not I'm okay doing it, that's when it becomes unhealthy. Like, I don't want to have sex with you right now, but I'm going to, and it's making me feel so gross, but I'm doing it so that you're okay with me. Then it's unhealthy. Like, maybe I don't feel like having sex, but I'm going to do it. I feel okay about doing it. I'm not totally in the mood, but I do it because I love you and I want you to be happy. That's different from, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be doing this, but I'm doing it. Ugh. So I guess then the line between codependency and non-codependency would be, you know, doing something out of the goodness of your heart, even if you don't want to do that thing would be still considered codependent? Yeah. Like how do you feel afterward? You know, I feel, I still feel valuable. I still feel real good about myself. I'm glad I made that decision. I feel okay. And I'm big about your gut feelings, your heart feelings. Like, do I actually feel okay after having done that for you? Or do I do it for you? And now I'm like, eh. I'm resenting you. I'm upset at you. I feel gross. I feel, I feel, I don't know what the word is. Like I've compromised me because there's nothing wrong with doing something for another person. Even if you don't really feel like it, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, thank God. Otherwise we would all be like terrible parents, right? <laughs> we do shit all day, every day for our kids that we don't necessarily feel like doing, but it's okay to do it. Right. Well, I don't think that's even possible to, you know, in, in our lives, as strong as we are, as independent as we are to say absolutely not to everything that we don't want to do. I right. feel like everyone in, has bent at one point in their life, right? To say like, okay, yeah, I'll do that thing for you, even though I'd rather do this thing for me, right? But I love mm -hmm. you, right? So that's interesting. I, I agree. I agree with the feeling thing as well, because I like that we're going this route because it's taking like a totally like, like another layer into codependency, because I have a feeling that most listeners who listen to this episode are going to go, yeah, I know what codependency is. It's when you do, you know, when you're like the, the stigma, right? You're in a relationship with someone and you can't live without them. Um, that's codependency. So I, I like that mm -hmm. we're kind of like taking this a step further. Right. Or I, I think a lot of people associate codependency with um, you're in a relationship with an alcoholic. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, that makes you codependent, <laughs> but it's so much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like when I originally think of codependency, I think of somebody that really struggles to be independent. Like they don't 
know how to be outside of a relationship. They feel very insecure and anxious. And most of their kind of validation and security comes from being with another person, whether it's consistent, like a friendship or a romantic relationship. Um, and there's kind of a a hopping method or like you said, like staying with somebody for a very, very long time, even though the relationship may not be the right relationship. Right. Yeah. My, my favorite uh, author, I don't know what, what you would call her. What would you call Pia Melody? Like she's not a philosopher, but like her theory on codependence. I, I just love, she wrote facing codependence and she has a workbook, um, breaking free that goes with the book. I've read the book probably seven times. I've just devoured it. And I've done like codependency groups with people we've read through the book. Um, and well, this is a side topic, but she, she has a retreat in Arizona for codependents, like recovering from childhood traumas and like all these different elements of codependency. She does these beautiful retreats in Arizona. My, one of my sisters went and she loved it. Okay. Besides the fact she, she talks about how there's, there's codependency and then there's independency, which neither one is healthy for a human being. Like we can't be completely independent. We do need one another. We need, we need to be able to take and give, receive like from, from other people, but we can't be codependent. We can't be not okay unless we have another person's feeding us validation, right? So the middle there is what she calls interdependence. And that's the goal. Like I'm okay on my own. I, I know I'm good. I know I'm valuable. I know who I am. I know what my worth is without you. And when I'm with you, I am able to receive your love, receive your validation, and I'm able to give it to you too. So I'm, I'm good at the energetic exchange in a relationship and I'm good on my own energetically exchanging with myself. Like that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate man. Wow. I, I would love, I would love to be that good, <laughs> but right. That's, that's the goal. According to Pia Melody, that's where we would want to go. That, that makes sense. I feel like that's something that, you know, some people may never achieve, right. Based on personality, awareness, mm -hmm. et cetera. But I could see that people who, you know, want to strive to get there can get there with the right tools and the right resources. Absolutely. Um, I, it, that makes, yeah, that, that really resonated with me. That's kind of how I feel in my relationships with everybody, like friends, partner, et cetera. Um, getting to a place where you feel like, you know, I'm okay if I don't hear from you, mm -hmm. but I also would love to hear from you. You know, yes. I don't need to hear from you. I'd like it. Yes. Have I'm guessing you have experienced that in some or all of your relationships. And mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but for me being in that place where I'm free and you're free to just be, it feels so good. It feels so powerful. It feels so peaceful. Mm -hmm. I love that place. Go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. Um, I'm thinking about like that, that place too, and how I'm wondering if people who feel 
or are codependent, a lot of that is just the fear of losing somebody if they don't over comply or make things super easy in the relationship and how to kind of build their sense of independence and sense of self so that they have comfort in losing those people if they do lose them and having themselves to kind of fall back on plus their support system. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on like how somebody going through this could start to build those those, you know, those little skills to start moving forward away from codependency. Yeah. What I've noticed is everybody's journey has to be a little bit different. So, you know, depending on the personality and experiences of each client, we've got to go about it slightly differently. I, when I practice, I think about three different elements and that is my client's thinking. Are you thinking rationally? And if, if their thinking isn't rational, like reality-based, I'm going to work with them on like, here's the actual reality of the situation. Relationships come and go. People can be busy. People will forget to text you back, you know, whatever, whatever it is. You are actually valuable, blah, blah, blah. The thoughts. Then emotions. That's the second part that I'm, that I'm focused on. How do you honor your emotions and allow yourself to really value every single emotion that comes to you while not personalizing it and making it yours forever and ever. Like this emotion is who I am, you know, so teaching clients how to feel in a healthy way. And then we need to focus on the body because I can think rationally all day long, but if I have some sort of stored trauma in my body, or if I was taught in childhood that if the people around me aren't happy with me, that that's dangerous that I'm going to get attacked, literally going to get attacked. My body is going to respond like, oh shit, I'm going to get attacked because my boyfriend's mad at me. So I can think about it rationally all day long. He's not going to attack me. He's always been nice to me. He's safe. He's fine. But my body is responding differently, right? So we have to work with the body to learn how to regulate that or, or express any unexpressed trauma, get that up and out of the body. Or else like, you know, that's the reason why I retired my license, right? Like we, we could talk about it. We can rationalize it all day long, but if this is still going like, ah, it's not going to do any good. So, you know, for each person, what kind of irrational thoughts are they having? You know, I don't know what, how uh, skilled are they at really feeling each emotion, allowing it to come and allowing it to go, that takes practice. That's, that's a learned skill and physically what's happening with them. It's going to be different for each person, but, but that's how I approach each client. Those three things need to be each need to be handled individually together, but individually. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's a as frustrating as this is, there isn't a, if you do A, B, and C, you'll be healed from codependency. It's not like that, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. Yeah. I, I just don't, yeah, I don't even think it could be the same for everybody based on our experiences of life anyway. Right. With your clients, I don't know if you want to go off of one in particular, but I'm curious, like, you know, you kind of mentioned the three stages, three stages and what would 
what would you bring in for someone who has maybe like that stored something extra that you want to, I don't know if it's like a certain modality that you would bring in or how, how would that work? If you mind sharing with us like an example. I typically for most clients, it's appropriate to use actually a, the first exercise in PMLD's workbook it, dealing with, with the thoughts that will then easily take us to the stored stuff. <laughs> so she, she asks you to recall every single, not even abusive, but every single less than nurturing situation that happened to you before the age of 18. <laughs> and it takes a long time. It's like months. That's a long time. Like months. Yeah. 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 Um, she uses, well, I, I won't, I won't explain that part of it. It's too long, but, but you, you recall the incident and then through the exercise, you, you ask yourself, what message did this send me? Uh, you know, one of mine was my, I was five years old and I touched something in a museum and my dad, who's very abusive, picked me up and said, I told you not to touch anything. And he threw me into the lobby and left me there while everyone else, you know, finished their time at the museum. I had to sit by myself. He didn't tell me when they were coming back, if they were coming back, he just put me on the couch. So that's a less than nurturing situation that I experienced. So what was the message that sent me? Uh, you're not important. Your body can be touched. However, I want to touch it. Um, you know, I don't care if you're scared of me. I want you to be scared of me. Oh, you know, these are all the messages that I got, right? Well, when you, when you think of every single situation that's ever happened to you, some of the same messages get repeated over and over and over. And those you'll find are the messages you're carrying around today. You know, like it's, it's okay if you're scared of me, I want you to be scared of me. Fear is, fear is how I get you to do what I want you to do or whatever, whatever it is. Well, then we can use those messages in the counseling room to, you know, conjure up the physical sensation. So if you got this message over and over and over in childhood that you're unimportant to everyone, okay, well, if you're sitting in the therapy room and you think about that message, I'm unimportant to everyone, your body's going to do some things. And then in that moment, we can actually hold space for your body to go through whatever it's going to go through. It might be heart rate change. It might be temperature change. There might be some tension that happens. There might be an urge to cry or scream or stretch or walk around the room or whatever. We give the body a moment to actually feel through really the feelings that like maybe I was having sitting in that lobby as a five-year-old that I was too scared to do anything with those feelings. But today I can actually get them up and out and work, work through them, feel them, give them some space and time. This is something most people need guidance for. This is just not something our culture honors or teaches, even though it's like, duh, like we all have these bodies talking to us all the time, telling us something's wrong, but we just like, we don't listen to it. Nope, nope, I'm not gonna pay attention to that go for a walk, <laughs> just meditate. <laughs> then you'll feel better. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah. Anyways, did I answer your question? 
that yeah that that would that's probably where I start with most people dealing with codependency is that that exercise because we can start dealing with rational stuff and the body stuff and there's always emotional stuff that comes up mm-hmm. when we do that yeah yeah no that that definitely makes sense and I, I I really like it actually um it's like a version of trauma work I don't do a lot of trauma work uh, I'm very solution focused in my practice mm-hmm. um, and I'm very clear on that too I'm like you know if there's going to be things that come up I want to refer you to someone who's you know specializes in this but I, I like this approach to trauma work more than what I've heard before so mm-hmm. um, and it makes sense to kind of uncover you know those thoughts that I don't think clients would even know right are even there right right um and then I always think about I'm I'm so funny that way but I always think about like a hundred years ago people suffering from the same stuff and not having a place to talk about it because I'm just like you know when you were sharing I was like wow we're so lucky to have access to this or you know the ability to have access to this even with you know psychologists from a hundred years ago like they they didn't approach it this way. And I think there was still a lot of that, like, you know, those are just, you know, your, your irrational thoughts. Don't think about them. Think about this instead. And it's like, no, <laughs> we need to change the thinking pattern entirely. We can't just cancel right. that. Right. If I could have stopped it, sir, I would have. Right. <laughs> Don't just tell me exactly. to stop. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I know that makes complete sense. And the workbook that you're referencing, I, I wrote it down because it, it definitely sounds like a good starting point. Is it something that someone needs to be like trained in or you can work with that book? Any any consumer can purchase it, okay. read it, do the workbook. Yeah. And it's it's deep. It it goes deep and it's a thick workbook. It could take a whole year, you know, to really get through it. But someone who's really interested in this journey. It's what I recommend every single time. It's good stuff. Yeah, it sounded really good. It kind of made me, especially as Lauren brought up that point of 100 years ago, reflect on a past guest that we had that talked about like how people coming back from World War II would process emotion and grief without, you know, therapy and all of this. And a lot of what he was saying was like, he was from a different country, he was from France originally which is that like they would garden, they would be outside, they would be working outside. And like that natural connection to movement and body work was healing in its own right. And that's not something that we really have now where most people, you know, who are dealing with trauma are sitting behind a desk in a corporate office, right? Like they're sitting with everything stored consistently and we don't really have the direction in our natural resources like we used to to get out there and and cope with our somatic stuff going on yes such a good point so I think about that all the time which is that like you know like they didn't know they were self-healing back then and now we have therapy and we're very cognitive but we're not focused on our bodies anymore and so like it's just like we swapped how we, we dealt with things. Yeah. So I just finished reading our polyvagal world. I recommend it to everyone. Again, this is a very digestible, like great book for anybody, but, um, (laughs) 
I wish, I wish everybody knew about this stuff. Like, why don't we all know about this stuff? It, it talks about how we have what's called interoception. So like our, our system is constantly detecting if our environment is safe or not safe, safe or not safe. Like I'm sure you guys have heard about this. Right. And so, you know, so many moments we were taught are not safe, like not pleasing someone, making someone uncomfortable, speaking up, taking up too much space, whatever. That's not safe. That's not safe. So our system is designed to say, don't, don't speak up. Don't take up too much space. People please like do, do what you need to do because that's, what's going to keep you safe. Right. Or whatever your situation was. It It's not that the situation is not in adulthood, it's it's safe to speak up, to say what you want, to, you know, take up a little bit of space. That's okay. But at some point it wasn't. And so your system believes that it's not safe. So in our healing process, we have to create moments of safety for ourselves. We have to create safe people, safe environments. We have to do safe things. And that is nature human connection with safe people, dancing, singing, gardening, like, yes, that, that body movement that signals to us, like we're good, we're safe. Um, but you're right. Most of us are still in unsafe environments, fluorescent lights, cell phone in bed at night until we go to sleep. Like, Our bodies are tight and still and staring at a screen most of the time. And we're, we're continuing to signal to our bodies. You're still not safe. You're still not safe. (laughs) Yeah. Such a good book. Crazy stuff. I've been trying to work on that myself is just like the anxiety piece. And this is totally not what we're talking about at all, but I don't care is like, I started to not get on my phone until I was about to leave for work. Cause I, you know, as soon as you wake up, you're checking your emails, you're doing all these things. And so my, my goal had been like, you can check your phone, but then it has to go face down away until you're ready to leave for work. And Mm. just doing that for like what an hour while I get ready has helped my anxiety. So it's the screen is just, you know, yes. Yeah. If you really pay attention to what happens to your body when you're scrolling, you'll notice it's like it gets tighter and tighter and tighter and you start holding your breath and there's all sorts of physiological shit that happens with it. Like who wants to start their day like like this? <laughs> yeah, but no, I get it. I get it. Well, speaking of our phones and social media, one of our last questions uh, to, to, to kind of talk about when it comes to codependency is this kind of trend that's happened with psychology um, on TikTok and Instagram. And as a content creator, I'm sure you've seen it, which is that it's terms like codependency have become pop psychology and the average consumer is taking them and running with them Mm -hmm. and applying a term kind of more lightly to situations that it doesn't need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just curious your thoughts on kind of codependency as a pop psychology term. Yeah. I have really mixed feelings about it because, you know, as a, as a content creator on my side of things with my passion for like, I want to get information out to people who might not otherwise have the opportunity to learn this stuff. Um, it's like, I, I want to get it out there because how, how many just average people who don't have the luxury of an education in this here 
codependency and go, oh my gosh, I think I might be codependent or, oh my gosh, I think my partner's codependent. Maybe that's what's going on. And that's the catalyst for growth for them. And then on the other side of things, it's like, are we bombarding people with, with information, but it's like not enough information. So they're taking this much and then they're filling in all the blanks and they're doing whatever they want with it. I can see both sides of it. I really can. I think if we're doing our best as creators to, to do no harm, you know, to when, when we put something out there, it's, it's aligning with our mission. It's really trying to, it's, it's doing what we are trying to do, which is actually help people what what happens with it is not really so much our business, you know? I don't know. I'm very torn about this. There are days when I post stuff and I'm like, yes, I think I helped people today. And then there are other days when I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, what have I done? People are totally misinterpreting this. And But I do, do I stop because of that? I I don't know. And I don't mean to make it about me. I'm just saying like, I, I can see it from that side. When it comes to, this is a little off topic, but like the narcissism stuff, if I post stuff about narcissism and people are like, that's not narcissism and you don't know what you're talking about. And everybody's throwing around the term narcissism. I'm like, who are we defending here? Like, who are we trying to protect here? Because my goal is for people who are in relationships with narcissistic people to see, to see the clues, to see it, you know, so that they can understand and maybe protect themselves or help themselves. I'm not necessarily trying to like help the narcissist out there. So if you want to be pissed off that I'm throwing around the word narcissist, that's fine. As long as I'm helping people maybe identify that they're with a narcissist, I don't care. But when it comes to codependency, that's uh, that's when I might feel a little more icky if people are misunderstanding it. I don't know. What are your thoughts about it? Because I'm really kind of lost on this subject. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I bring it up because it's such new territory that therapists mm -hmm. are even in taking up space in social media, right? Like, I don't know about for you when you went to grad school, but like we were kind of taught like there was a lot of like barriers to us yeah. showing up on social media. Really, they kind of almost encourage yeah. us just to be invisible and not not have even anything. a even a personal right. social media. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I think because I work in a high school and I work with teens, and in our conversations, I hear all of these hot topics come up so often with misunderstanding it's just an awareness that I'm aware of now, right? That like we as therapists and mental health providers are doing our best to educate people. And of course, in any scenario, people are going to take it all different types of ways, which is really not our job to make sure everyone gets it right. Um, I guess it's, it's, it's just curious to see as mental health becomes more normalized, how it's then becomes kind of overly normalized and we apply terms to everything that we dislike. And I think that's where I see it, right? Is like my boyfriend and I had a bad breakup. So he's obviously a narcissist. I see that a lot. Or, you know, my friend is being a bitch, so she's borderline. And so there's kind of like mm -hmm. the terms get applied to normal be human behavior. And what when... is the harm in that? That's my question. I, I guess what's, what's the harm in that? 
I guess and I'm not challenging you. I'm just, I'm just really curious. I guess it demonizes human behavior that we find unacceptable to us. And, and at times when I see, especially like teens and stuff do it, 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 it almost says like that I've done absolutely nothing wrong in this scenario that I'm experiencing because this person is a narcissist or this person Mm -hmm. is X, Y, Z, and they very well could be, but most of the time they're not, they're not clinically Mm -hmm. that diagnosis. Um, it's just becomes kind of like their people's easy out, um, in scenarios. And so Mm -hmm. it's almost like, I think it can be harmful to the person being labeled that when, or the people who do suffer with a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder or borderline or bipolar or whatever it is, like this is a disorder they're dealing with and trying to heal from, not all of them, but some of them. And, you know, the term gets slapped around like it's nothing. So I think Hmm. that's, that's where I'm curious and like looking more into how, how do we educate people safely? which we can't always. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I hadn't thought about that, you know, being able to, or being therapized, right. And like knowing the terms and stuff, it, it does keep you from self-examining. You're this, you're that, you're that, you're that. And that's why this happened instead of what choices did I make? what, how did I participate in this? Cause it's, I mean, it's always 50, 50. Yeah. I also, I also uh, agree with Ryan. We, we touch on this often cause I also work with teens and I think it's, you know, it can be very one-sided, like here's all the information, do what you want with it. And most people are going to go, Oh, that relates to me. So that's my situation. Right. And it doesn't mean it is. It's just knowledge that's being shared. And I feel I feel torn on it as well. Like, I think it's great that people are sharing more about mental health. But who's sharing about mental health is a big one for me, because I'm just someone that I like when people have the appropriate experience to share about topics that are harder. And so, you know, I definitely trust, you know, therapists with their background more than someone who's just living, you know, just sharing their life experience, but their life experience is also important as well. So then you want to just take a little bit from everybody, right? So I think taking it all in from one, you know, person on social media can be the danger. But I think teens tend to do that more than Mm -hmm. our age group. I don't know. That's how I see it. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts on it. Cause this is something we just kind of bring up with different guests for sure, because we are in a space of content as well, Lauren and I, you know, as we kind of create these episodes, we think through that as well, which is that like, we hope that our conversations with so many different people give different light to all these different topics, um, which is why we like to do like an interview style instead of us, you know, coming from our perspective more than anything else. But um, yeah, it's just an interesting space we're in now as just a society with social media being so prevalent in our lives. It's how we're learning about so many different things. And with that, just like anything else, right? Just like in grad school, when we're reading a book with a bunch of white men slapped on the front of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, yeah. we don't have enough diverse perspectives. And now with social media, we do have a lot more diverse perspectives. So it is definitely a blessing, but we're getting all of it so fast that we're, I think we don't have time to think like, 
I should think through this, what I'm hearing. We're just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Not everyone, but I think that is kind of our culture right now. It's like fast information doesn't give us the time to like digest and figure out what we want to accept as our own and what we don't. Right, right. Do you have any final thoughts or takeaways for our listeners when it comes to the topic we've been talking about today? We'd love to hear. Mm. Oh, gosh. I think most people struggle with codependency, at least to a certain degree, at least in one of their relationships, if not all. And I guess my my um, cheerleading for you is, you know, take a, take a look at your behaviors, take a look at, you know, be honest with yourself take a look at the motivation behind what you're doing. Is it to get other people to give you that, that nourishment that you need? If it is, the goal is, is for you to be able to give yourself that nourishment. And however you get to that place where you're able to value yourself and know yourself without the help of anyone else, that that's the end game. That's where you want to get. Do you need a counselor to do that? Do you need to read books? Do you need to go to a retreat? Like what, what do you need to do to get to that place? Cause I'm telling you, having done it myself and having watched probably a hundred people do it now, there's nothing more beautiful. It, it is worth all the effort. It's worth the time. It's worth all of your energy. It will change your life. So do it, do it, do it, do it. thank you so much for sharing this was a really powerful episode definitely a different take than I thought you know I always have like my own expectations for each uh, guest that we have on but I I really like that we went a few different directions with this topic I think the listeners are really gonna appreciate it as well and we appreciate having you on today. Where can our listeners find you? Uh, my social media, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Rachel Seavers. You can find me there. Also, um, you can listen to my podcast where I actually have some clients that allow me to record their sessions. So you get to hear portions of their sessions and, um, and then I'll, t- I'll talk about what we listen to and give you some mental health tips and things like that. I have a Patreon community. If you want to join my mental health community, my workbook is coming out. So there are lots of ways to find me. If you want to connect with me one-on-one rachelsevers.com you can find me there. Great. Thank you. We will link all of that in our show notes so you can all find it super easily. And thank you again, Rachel, so much for having the time with us. We appreciated it. And we hope you have a fun Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) Thanks. I got to go find some fun, but thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. And this was really fun for me. It was nice to meet you guys. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if you feel called to rate and review and share with the people in your life, you think would like us too. For more info on this episode, check out the show notes. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at dopeshttherapypod and via email at dopeshttherapypod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and check back soon for more episodes.